Good evening. Welcome to our Thursday night Bible study. This evening we're starting a new series, First Paul's First Letter to the Corinthians. We're reading the first three verses. Just as a bit of a preamble, Paul wants the Corinthians to understand that the gospel of the Lord Jesus radically changes, rewires our whole lives. Paul had visited the city of Corinth and planted a church there around AD 49. It was very strategic, very strategically located. It, was, it is positioned on the narrow four-mile strip of land that separates northern and southern Greece. It had been destroyed by Rome in 146 before Christ only to be rebuilt about a hundred years later by Julius Caesar as a Roman colony. It became, Corinth became the capital of the province of Acacia. And because of its location, it rapidly became a major centre of trade, a thriving, wealthy city. And as always happens, when cities are located on major trade routes, where economic opportunities abound... Corinth attracted people from all over the world. It was a vast melting pot of culture, all of which made it a place of stark social contrasts. One ancient visitor to Corinth, a little bit after the time of Paul's writing, said that the sordiness of the rich and the misery of the poor was extraordinary, abounding in luxuries but inhabited by an ungracious people. Corinth was noted for its immorality, its debauchery. The great temple of Aphrodite was located on top of a hill overlooking the city where thousands of temple prostitutes worked as priestesses. And below it, the temple of Apollo celebrated homosexuality. And to Corinthian to Corinthians to Corinthianize, I'm sorry, became a, became a synonym for adultery and sexual perversity of every kind. You could say Corinth was a giant red light area. But it was in this city, in this dark and cosmopolitan bustling city that Paul resolved to plant a church. Acts 18 tells us he did just that, with the help of Priscilla and Aquila. When Paul left Corinth about a year and a half later, he spent the next three years ministering in Ephesus. And when he was in Ephesus, he began to hear that all was not well in Corinth. The allure of the surrounding culture had continued to pull away at these young believers. Sharp divisions began to emerge. Sexual sin continued to be a struggle. The oddities of pagan philosophy and mystery cults began to creep into the teaching of some in the church. So Paul's letter to Corinth is designed to address these problems directly, head on. 1 Corinthians has so much to say to our context in 2020, our generation. 
Many of the issues facing the believers in Corinth characterise the struggles facing believers today. As we wrestle with the call of the Lord Jesus to be holy, while the old life pulls away at us, seeking to draw us back into the old patterns, the sinful patterns of the world. And what we're going to see in our studies together is that as Paul addresses the Corinthians over and over again, he doesn't respond to the Corinthians with angry rebuke or a series of how-to instructions for living the victorious Christian life. No, 1 Corinthians points these relatively new Christians back to fundamental truths about God and the gospel of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's answer is knowing God revealed in Jesus Christ, crucified and risen by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. Grasping and learning to apply with ever-increasing clarity and courage the gospel of our Lord Jesus, the gospel of God's saving grace for sinners in Christ and applying that to all the details of our lives. God's plan, if you like, for us is to strip out the old patterns, the old ways of the world and to, re and to rewire, to re-energise our spiritual systems with the simple, clear truth of the gospel about our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians is immensely exciting. It's dealing with real issues which with, with, which with we struggle even today. What work of grace might the Lord intend in our lives and in our life together as a church as we come under the teaching of this book? So let's read it together, just those first three verses. 1 Corinthians 1 verses 1 to 3. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God, and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul weaves into his introduction some themes and ideas he will build on and amplify at different points throughout his letter. In these opening verses of 1 Corinthians, we, if you like, we have the cast of characters we will see repeated as Paul responds to the Corinthians and their needs. So four themes, four points that will be important as the book develops that are vital and foundational for our Christian lives. The first one is the theme of authority. In verse 1, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes. Now, at first glance, Paul is simply following the traditional and conventional letter-writing style of the ancient Greco-Roman worlds. You begin with the author, you mention the addressee and you offer a word of greeting, which is largely Paul's pattern. But in light of the rest of the letter, it's clear that there is more going on here. In chapters 3 and 4 in particular, 
Paul has to defend himself and his ministry from those who've challenged his authority. So Paul is reminding the Corinthians right up front of his apostolic credentials. Literally, verse 1 can read, Paul called an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Sosthenes the brother. The will of God called Paul and the will of God made Paul an apostle. He didn't receive it from men. He wasn't made an apostle by the church. He was called by the will of God, which invested Paul with an authority that didn't belong to other Christians. Just to have a look at the contrast between Paul and Sosthenes. Paul is the apostle. He's called by the will of God. Sosthenes is the brother. Sosthenes is the same man we think mentioned in Acts 18 and verse 17. And this is a wonderful title for him. Because if you remember, we did Acts relatively recently. Luke told us that Sosthenes was a ruler of the synagogue in Corinth. In Acts 18, there's no indication that Sosthenes was a Christian. In fact, he probably had ample reason to reject Paul's message. The Jews in Corinth brought charges against Paul before Gallio, the proconsul, because Paul was making converts from among the synagogue, including one of the synagogue leaders, and from among the Gentiles in the city. And Gallio dismissed their charges out of hand. And in their rage and their frustration, this mob, this howling mob, turned on poor old Sosthenes because he's the ruler of the synagogue. And they beat him because he was the leader of the synagogue and all this was happening on his watch. So we see the wonderful power of the gospel, the power of the gospel, the great power of the gospel to change the hardest heart. Because Paul tells the Corinthians that Sosthenes is now their brother. Praise God, those of you who are witnessing to, and praying for family members and loved ones, friends. Some of you have been praying for years. You see no signs of change. God can take the least likely candidate, the candidate with the most reason to reject the gospel and make them brothers and sisters in Christ, which is what he did beautifully, wonderfully in the life of Sosthenes. But understand, for all the glory of that, Sosthenes is the brother. Paul is the called apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul is the spokesman of Christ by divine appointment. When, when Sosthenes speaks, the Christians may listen or not. He might speak wisely or he might be spouting rubbish. Their consciences, you see, were free when Sosthenes spoke. But when Paul speaks, it's an entirely different matter. And this is so important for us to grasp because we live in an egalitarian context where authority is a dirty word. Paul's words to us in 1 Corinthians do not come with the same weight and authority as an email from a friend might come. Paul's message doesn't come with the comparative urgency of a three-minute news segment we might find informative and diverting. Paul is the mouthpiece of Jesus Christ by the will of God so that when 1 Corinthians speaks, we should be glued to its every word because every word 
originates ultimately not with Paul, but with Jesus Christ, of whom Paul is the herald. So the first theme is the theme of authority. The second theme is the theme of identity. To whom does he write? He writes to the church of God in Corinth. That's its unique distinguishing character. That word that is translated church is ecclesia. And it simply meant an assembly. And there were many and varied in Corinthian society. But this ecclesia, this assembly, had the distinction of being the ecclesia of God, the church of God. It isn't the church of Paul. It isn't the church of the Corinthian leadership. It isn't the church of the membership. It isn't the church of the culture. We are the church of God. We are his and we are for him. And Paul focuses the camera lens so we can see more of the particular marks. What is the church of God? What does it really look like? The church of God, Paul says, is made up of those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Now, sanctified and saint have the same Greek root. A saint is a sanctified one. And the word simply means to have been set apart, to have been consecrated, just like the vessels, the furniture and the garments and the priests in the Old Testament temple. So they were set aside, they were consecrated, devoted to a sacred purpose, dedicated entirely to God. My dear friend, if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, by God's grace, God has put a reserved sign on you. And you are set apart and reserved for his use only. Like priests in the temple in Jerusalem, we have been consecrated and dedicated to a sacred purpose. That is our fundamental identity now, that we have been designated, reserved by, for God. The saints at Corinth, if you see, God unites us to Christ through faith. We are planted into him. He is the Holy One and in him we are consecrated and set apart as holy too. He says we are to be called to be saints, but a better translation is probably just to be called saints. The sovereign, effective, irresistible call of God is the preaching of the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it makes us saints. God in the preaching of the gospel applied by the Spirit of God makes us saints as he calls us into union with Jesus Christ. Now think for a moment about the Corinthians. Just think about them, what you know about them before we got into the book. Well, surely you know that they were fighting. They were squabbling among themselves. They held grudges. They sued one another in the courts. They were sleeping around. They were participating in pagan rituals. They were getting drunk at the Lord's table. They were a mess. And Paul calls them saints. He calls them sanctified in Christ Jesus because of the call of God. You get up in the morning and you look in the mirror. What do you see? I would suggest you see a wicked, sinful, compromising screw up full of lust and pride and anger and laziness and unbelief and judgmentalism and a thousand other things beside me too. 
me first. But that is not our identity, brothers and sisters in Christ. That may be what we do, how we act in our sin and our backsliding. But as we cling to Jesus, albeit sometimes desperately and broken heartedly, as we cling to Jesus, Paul says that is not who we are. We are sanctified in union with Jesus Christ by the call of the Holy Spirit. You're a saint. God has put a reserved sign on you. You are his, dedicated and reserved for his use and for his glory. Consecrated to him, that is who you are. So Paul is saying to the Corinthians and would say to us, it is time to be who you are, to live out your identity before the world and the eyes and the gaze of holy God. Stop living the old life. That isn't who you are. Not anymore. Stop telling yourself otherwise. You're sanctified. You're a saint. Be holy. You're a saint in union with Jesus. It is time to start living like one. The theme of authority. The theme of identity. Thirdly, the theme of activity. This is the first implication of the first two, really. And it is activity, is what the church does. If you look at verse 2 with me again, call to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't say that the church is marked by this stance and posture and we occasionally pray. No, he's saying that the whole life of a Christian can be summed up under this heading. This is this is a distinctive characteristic that a Christian is always always calling. They live calling, clinging to, running to, dependent on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Charles Hodge said it like this in his commentary. Paul's phrase expresses not so much an individual act of in of invocation, a prayer as a habitual state of mind and its appropriate expression. It is a habitual state of mind in the church to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're constantly calling. It is how they live. It's their stance. They're, they're leaning on, they're resting on, they're calling on the name of the Lord Jesus in every circumstance at every juncture. Can that be said of us? That our most notable feature, our characteristic, is that we're habitually and instinctively calling on Jesus. What happens in your heart when fear strikes? We probably, all of us know that fear, what fear is like, probably in a new way since coronavirus. Is it your instinct and habit to run to Jesus? Or is he fifth, sixth, seventh on your list? Of other reactions and responses that pass through your mind and occupy your lips. Is he always on your lips, on your heart? Are you longing for more of Jesus, your hope for the future, our growth, our ministry, our faithfulness, our fruitfulness, rest on him. Authority, identity, activity, unity. The fourth theme, the other great fruit of the call of God that sets us apart in Christ as holy. We are, first of all, Jesus's people. We call on the name of the Lord Jesus and we are united. 
we're called saints in verse 2, together with all those who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. You see that wonderful emphasis on unity? Paul wants us to understand that to be sanctified, to be a saint, has vertical implications, we call on Jesus, and horizontal implications, we do it together. And those two must always go together. The pride, the the partisan spirit that riddled the Corinthian church is incompatible with the posture and habit of calling on the name of Jesus. No, a Christ-dependent heart is one that heart is a heart that beats with love for Christ's people. Whoever they are, wherever they are to be found, and from whatever background they come. So do you see the sweep of the argument? Biblical authority produces gospel identity. We're in Christ, saints, sanctified, set apart for Jesus. And that new gospel identity leads us to dependent activity. We cling to Christ. We're always calling on his name. And to profound spiritual unity. We do it together. We live our Christian lives out together in community. Biblical authority, gospel identity, dependent activity, spiritual unity. Let us resolve to be who we really are. Set apart for the Lord Jesus. We are saints, sanctified ones, because of the mighty call of God by his words and spirit. You're no longer defined by your sin and failure, though sin and failure may yet dog your steps. You're defined in Christ as a sanctified one. So let us be who we really are in Jesus, holy and set apart for him. Let us learn to cling to Jesus anew, to love the church, preserving and cherishing her unity, caring for those who are not like us because Christ, into union with whom we have been drawn by his spirit, Christ loves the church, warts and all, and has given himself for her. If we do that by God's grace, there is no telling what Christ might do among us for his glory. So let us look to God. Let us learn to be who we really are. Let us be holy. We've been sanctified, set apart in Christ. Let us call upon and cling to Jesus. And let us learn to love one another, preserving the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. May the Lord bless the word for his glory, for our eternal good.